You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Now notice Jacob's reply. And notice he uses God's name here for gain. Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now is that any way for a child of God to act? To use the name of God for gain? Listen, let me tell you something. There are people who have supposedly taken the name of Christ who do exactly that. You know, they, they, don't, they don't really have any desire to want to know God or serve God. You know, they'll come into a church service like this and they're really thinking about business. Have you ever used God's name for your own benefit? Meaning that you try to speak as God or for Him? In today's message, Pastor Mike reminds us that using God's name for our own benefit is not something anyone should do. And Christians aren't exempt from that either. We don't get some magic pass that Let's us try and use our relationship with God to try and convince others to let us get our way. We're all fallen. We're all sinners. It's only by God's grace that we're allowed to be with Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 48 as he continues his message, Jacob's Last Will and Testament. Jacob was the kind of guy that you'd never wanted to meet up with. He'd take advantage of you if it was all uh, possible. And so anyway, uh, his testimony. And so what we have here, think about that. And, and, and again, it's, all about, it's more than just a word. Uh, his testimony has to do with a lifetime of experience. So what we have here then is the perseverance of a true child of God to the very end. And so, you know, maybe we can relate to Jacob. I think many of us are like Jacob. You know, we start off kind of feeble and weak, and then God brings us along. It's a part of a process. And then hopefully at the end of our life, we'll have this powerful testimony, the result of a lifelong experience in walking with God. And that's what it's all about, that kind of a testimony. That's what we're talking about here. In the book of Philippians in chapter 1, in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who hasn't begun a good work in you, and that work begins the day that we give our lives to Christ, where we invite him to come and be the Lord and Savior of our life. When we ask him to forgive us of our sins, and we allow him to control our lives. He becomes the Lord. It's a title that we give him. Lord Jesus, come and take control of my life. Forgive me of my sins. And it's at that moment where the Spirit enters into us and we're born again. That's when that good work begins. 
So being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is, until the day of Christ coming back for his people. And so what God did for Jacob, God will also do for us. But again, you know, our beginnings are feeble or small, and, and uh, it's a part of a process. You always hear me use the illustration, we might as well have a sign hanging around our neck under construction, because it's so true. And there's never going to be a time in this life that we've arrived. Whether you're a new Christian or the senior pastor of a church, there's always room for growth and improvement, going on to maturity. We never need to get into that funk of thinking like we've arrived, we've got it wired, there's nothing else to attain to. It's not true. The Bible tells us that when we see him, that is Jesus, we shall become like him and not before. So upon his second coming, then that work that is referred to there in Philippians chapter 1 will be complete. So in fact, this episode, think about this, in chapter 48, what we've just read, is offered as evidence and validation of Jacob's faith. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Hall of Faith chapter, as we often refer to it as, in verse 21 we read, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, which uh, you know, is a reference to what we're reading here in chapter 48 in the book of Genesis, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. In other words, he mustered up enough strength to be able to do this. This was no small task, as we're about to uh, discover here. Now, this portion of Jacob's testimony deserves our careful examination. There's a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to here. The first of which is, and if you're taking notes, write this down. It'll be projected up here on the screen. That is a God-oriented outlook. And that's exactly what Jacob had, a God-oriented outlook. And this is so very, very important for all of God's kids. And I want you to notice, the first feature of this, <clears throat> excuse me, I want you to notice that in Jacob's testimony, it began and it ended with God. And, and your testimony should also likewise begin and end with God. Notice he begins with God's appearance to him at Bethel, verse 3. Let's go back to our text now in chapter 48. Then Jacob said to Joseph, this is all a part of his testimony, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan, and bless me. So notice the name of God there. So his whole experience began, his testimony begins with God. And then he ended it by referring to God's goodness in allowing him to see not only Joseph, his son, but also Joseph's children. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. And Israel said to Joseph, or Jacob said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. Notice the reference to God there. Get the point? It began and ended with God. Listen, gang, blessed, happy is the life that begins and ends with God. Uh, Pleasure, money, power, you know, all of those things dissipate. You can lose those things. But happy is the testimony that sees all of life from that perspective. 
you know, knowing that God was at work, knowing that he was with you, preserving you, providing for you. Remember, Jesus himself said, and this is just part of being a child of God. Jesus himself said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And I hope that, you know, you can look back on your life, you know, the footsteps and, and the footprints, rather, of, of God working in your life, drawing you to himself. And on that day that you went through your own conversion experience, right up until the present time and all of what God has done, providing, blessing, protecting, and, and you know, all of what God does, and forgiving, and, and being so patient with us, changing us from the inside out. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing uh, process. So happy is the testimony that sees all of life from that perspective. You see, that's exactly what Jacob wanted to pass along to Joseph and Joseph's sons. He wished his son to have a, think about it, the last memory of him, the scene in which he gives God credit for his all and all and attribute all of the glory unto God. That's what he wanted to leave Joseph and his sons with. Man, I hope that I have that same opportunity. You know, when, when the Lord calls me home, I, I hope that that's the recollection that my children have of me and my wife, Diane. You know, more than anything else. You know, that they'll remember that, uh, you know, their dad, their mom walked with God and how important that was. You know, you know I always try to impress upon my children all of what we have, really, God has been so faithful to us in providing for us in the ministry. We were called to the ministry even before we had our, our first child. And uh, so uh, everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we own, uh, you got to put God behind it. can only be attributed to God's faithfulness in providing for us. You know, the, the ability and the capacity to have a roof over our head, to be able to purchase our home, to be able to send my kids through college. You know, all, four of the five children, with the exception of my special needs son, you know, have, have gone through college. We were able to pay for their college tuition, although they graduated with, uh, in some debt, but at least we helped along the way some. But it can only be attributed to God. You know, those are the things that we want to leave our children with. That's the legacy that we leave behind, that they know that that was a part of our heritage, the importance of, of that knowledge. It's so very, very uh, important. And isn't that exactly what Jacob is trying to impart to Joseph and to his sons? That's the last memory that he wants them to have of him, testifying to the fact of God's faithfulness, that all that he has, all that he is, is the result of his relationship that he had with God. And so all of the glory should be unto him. Now for Jacob, remember, I told you that we were going to get into this. This was not always the case. In fact, the first time the name of God was found on Jacob's lips, he was lying. He used the name of God for gain. Remember, as I've already mentioned, I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time because I've already gone into it. But as he disguised himself as his brother Esau and then went into his father Isaac on his deathbed, and ripped off the patriarchal blessing. He uses the name of God to do that. You say, what am I talking about? Well, go back quickly to chapter 27. I'm going to make you do a little work here. In chapter 27, let me give you a cross-reference for this. We've already gone through this, but in verse 20, notice, 
But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He's talking about the food. Remember, he had already sent Esau out to hunt for the venison to prepare the meal for dad who is dying so that he could taste of the savory food before he expires and then give his son Esau the patriarchal blessing. But all of a sudden, you know, very quickly, the son who at least Isaac thought it was his son uh, Esau appears as his, at his bedside, which would have been an impossibility to go out to the field to kill a deer, to skin the deer, to prepare the meal, to bring it back in, you know, in a timely, I mean, it was, it was an impossibility. And so that's the reason why he asked the question there in verse uh, 20, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Now notice Jacob's reply. And notice he uses God's name here for gain, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now, is that any way for a child of God to act, to use the name of God for gain? Listen, let me tell you something. There are people who have supposedly taken the name of Christ who do exactly that. You know, they, they, don't, they don't really have any desire to want to know God or serve God. You know, they'll come into a church service like this, and they're really thinking about business. Or they're thinking about enlisting you in their business. You know, uh, they want you to jump on the, uh, uh, what is that product? Amway, yeah. You know, it's like a pyramid scam kind of a thing is what they're doing. And there are people who actually, you know, come into the church. I've seen this happen. I've been around Christianity for a long time, and I've seen this happen. They don't have any inclination of wanting to know God or walk with God. It's all about business, making connections, you know, making money. And, uh, you know, where a better place to do that than in a church where there's a number of people and, uh, you know, networking and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and they'll use the name of God. Oh, brother. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, sister. You know, giving you the impression that they're, that they are also a child of God. But the truth of the matter is they're not. And they'll use the name of God falsely for gain. So that's exactly what Jacob is guilty of here. You see that? The next time Jacob mentions the name of God was at Bethel. When, remember now, he's escaping from his brother Esau, who swore the vow. Mom sent him to Uncle Laban's house in Haran. And he's on his way. And uh, he lights on out in the desert uh, one particular evening. And as he's lying there on the desert floor, looking up into the starry, sky, he's thinking to himself, remember now, he's frightened, and, he, and he's really a mama's boy. This is the first time that he's ever been separated from his family. He's thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to have to face here? And he has somewhat of a relationship with God. It's more or less based upon his mom and dad's relationship that they had, you see, you know, what had been planted within him by his mom and dad, but he didn't really have a, the same kind of a relationship that his mom and dad had. But he knew that there was a God out there, and he's looking up into that star-filled sky out there in the desert. And if you've ever been out in the desert, you know exactly what, I'm, what I mean. And he's thinking, I know that I need help. And I know that God is in the business of helping me. And I know that God is out there somewhere in that, fill, that starry-filled sky but the problem is, how could I get a hold of him? 
And it was that subconscious thought that was planted in Jacob's mind when he fell asleep, thus the dream that's known as Jacob's Ladder. Are you familiar with that? Most of you are. If you've been around for the last couple of months, we, it was a part of one of our messages. And, he, and as he fell asleep on that desert floor, he saw this ladder. And he saw the angels of God ascending and descending upon that ladder. And he thought to himself, oh, that's the way that I can apprehend God. I'll just climb the ladder. Interestingly enough, in the gospel according to John, Jesus refers to himself as that ladder. And isn't that so very true? You think about it in that analogy. Because Jesus himself, no one comes unto the Father except through me. So the truth of the matter, he is the ladder by which we ascend unto God, where we can get a hold of God, where we can apprehend God in times of trouble, the same kind of trouble that Jacob is experiencing. So with that said, he's in Bethel, he's there in the middle of the desert, he's frightened, and then he, he falls asleep, and, he, and in that dream, he has this vision of the ladder, which is recorded for us in chapter 28, in verses 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. But you see, he's surprised by all of this. You see, he didn't know that, you know, wherever he went, God was with him. He he didn't have that understanding in his relationship with God. And then let me cite another example. The point that I'm trying to make is how feeble his, his relationship, his walk with God was until... He's lying on his deathbed. And then in chapter 30, in verse 2, as Rachel is chiding Jacob, Rachel was one of Jacob's wives, his favorite wife, by the way. She is chiding Jacob because she did not have any children. And within that culture back then, if a wife was unable to bear her husband, a child that was considered that she was under a curse. That's just the way it was within that that culture, going back to remember what God said to the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. So not to be able to do that was considered being under a curse. And so Rachel is chiding Jacob because she did not have any children. And Jacob becomes angry. And he says in chapter 30 in verse 2, am I in the place of God, notice the, the name God, who has kept you from having children? Okay, so, yes, in all of these examples, in all of these cross-references that I've just cited, we see Jacob as being acquainted with God, looking to the promises of God. But then again, you cannot detest, uh, detect any closeness. There's really no prayer. He's always trusting on his own cleverness rather than just waiting on God to direct his life. Well, now it's at the end of his life and everything has changed. He realizes although he hasn't been close to God, God has been close to him. And not only was God close to him, but he was faithful to fulfill all of the promises that he made to Jacob as well. Aren't you glad that our relationship with God is more dependent upon him than it is upon us? Aren't you glad? You know, yes, there's our part, but God's part far uh, supersedes our part. 
And I'm so thankful for that. God, even in our lapses of faith, continues to remain faithful to us. And he'll fulfill all of the promises that are recorded for us in his word for his people. So this is exactly what Jacob wanted to pass on to his children, that testimony. And this testimony is of eternal importance. It's our legacy to impart unwavering faith in God to our children. You know, isn't it interesting that as parents, and those of you who are parents could testify to this, uh, we'll do anything that we can possibly do to see that our kids are well-situated in life, uh, that they've enjoyed a good education, that they have certain assets. But listen, gang, don't miss this. Your testimony is more important than anything that you can leave behind for them. Because everything else can perish overnight. And it is only the knowledge of God and faith in Him that alone remains. Remember that. Make that investment. Man, I tell you something. We were so invested in sports for our kids. And uh, talk to any of my kids. We put them through camps. We spent so much money. We did this. We did that. We spent more. I got to tell you something. We probably spent more time investing in sporting things than in spiritual things. I'm just so glad that it worked out anyway. All of my children are in church, thank God. Uh, uh, some of them are here with us this morning, and I'm thankful for that, and my sons-in-law as, as well, and now even my grandchildren. But i got to tell you something. I wish that I would have spent more time invested in spiritual things as far as my children are concerned. It's so very, very important. And so here Jacob's spirit triumphs over the flesh, and thus God is acknowledged as his all in all. Listen, gang, we need to get to the same place because it's a wonderful place. In the 91st Psalm, the psalmist testifies to this truth in verses 14 through 16. He says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. These are God's promises to you. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. What a wonderful promise that is. In times of trouble, when you feel like you've been rejected or all alone, you're never alone. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, he'll be there for you. I mean, could you put a dollar and cents value on that? I don't think so. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God's going to honor us? Are you kidding me? With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. How precious are those promises, gang? Think about that, right? What a blessing that is. Now, there's something else here that I want to draw your attention to. When our life, remember the heading that we're talking about here. When our life is formed by the reality of God, it affects us in so many areas. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be. Oh, my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then 
God made man, and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what he does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.